Yes, hello and good morning, good afternoon everyone, good evening. I'm going to find out what time it is in New Zealand at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. That's New York City time. Well, I'm happy to be here. We have a lot of uh, very cool topics to discuss today. Um, anyway, my name is Chris Curran. This is The Mystic Show. Every morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, we do a one-hour show. It gets replayed twice in the evening on uh, on the same station, the Fractal Stream. And of course, on our website, all of our past shows are archived. So you can literally go through and just browse different shows, all kinds of different topics. It's uh, it's pretty cool. If you haven't been to the website yet, it's very cool. TheMysticShow.net. And also, you can find our phone number there, and you can call us. You can call me on the phone. You can also call me using Skype, which is free uh, anywhere in the world. You can call me on Skype for free. So I have my Skype here up and running. I have my phone ringer on. So if you're listening live and you want to uh, chime in, please do. And uh, this is the show where we talk about mindfulness, personal development, a lot of spirituality, which I, we're going to be a little, we're going to talk about spirituality today um, a little bit in, in, a, in a few minutes, but uh, because I had a, <laughs> had a nice conversation with uh, a friend last night, which I want to share some of the points of that. Um, but basically this show is all about things unseen and otherworldly because the material world is only the tip of the iceberg our human experience is so much deeper than just a job and a house and a car and going to the movies once a month or once every two weeks there's probably people that go to the movies every single week right that's pretty cool if you have the time i guess and if there's enough good movies out, sometimes that's a problem, right? You want to go to the movies and there's nothing that's good or nothing you think is good. So this is the show where we talk about those kind of topics. And I want to hear from you what you think is important. What do you think spirituality is? How are you incorporating it into your life? How are you balancing this frantic pace that we live at these days where everybody's just working, working, working. I mean, do you know anyone who isn't really busy? Seriously, name one person that you know that is not really busy. I, I don't know if there's many. Maybe there's a few. Anyhow, we got to balance out that frantic, relentless materialism with... Well, it starts with the conversation, and that's what this show is all about, having the conversation about what's really important. And then I guess it kind of, you know, the only way to implement it in your own life is to do some sort of a spiritual practice for yourself, whether that's meditation or whether you're reading books or whatever, going to meetup groups whatever it's all part of your journey and whatever you're ready for you should do and obviously be open to learning along the way so so before i get really going because i have a feeling i'm going to just ramble a little bit later and and i really hope someone one of you guys can call me uh later when i'm or call anytime but when i start talking about the conversation i had last night uh I, I need your input. So, but first up for today, first up, let's let's do the most important thing first, <laughs> right? There's an idea, right? What is one of Stephen Covey's um, habits of highly effective people was uh, first things first, meaning you should, whatever the first thing is, do the first thing first which a lot of times we don't do in our lives, but okay. So we're reading 
from our book. It's not our book. It's James Allen's book, Above Life's Turmoil. And it's more than 100 years old, and this book is just awesome. Yesterday we read the passage titled, Your Mental Attitude. Before that was Thought and Action. Before that, The Belief That Saves. And before that, Belief, The Basis of Action. So we're getting into beliefs and thoughts. And now we're going to get into... A very simple concept we've all heard before, uh, but the way James Allen puts it is awesome, legendary. It's really, really nice. So this passage is called Sowing and Reaping. Sowing and Reaping, and let's go ahead and start. This is from the book Above Life's Turmoil by James Allen. This section is called Sowing and Reaping. Go into the fields and country lanes in the springtime, and you will see farmers and gardeners busy sowing seeds in the newly prepared soil. If you were to ask any one of those gardeners or farmers what kind of produce he expected from the seed he was sowing, he would doubtless regard you as foolish and tell you that he does not expect at all, that it is a matter of common knowledge that his produce will be of the kind which he is sowing, and that he is sowing wheat or barley or turnips, as the case may be, in order to reproduce that particular kind. Every fact and process in nature contains a moral lesson for the wise man. There is no law in the world of nature around us which is not to be found operating with the same mathematical certainty in the mind of man and in human life. All the parables of Jesus are illustrative of this truth and are drawn from the simple facts of nature. There is a process of seed sowing in the mind and life, a spiritual sowing which leads to a harvest according to the kind of seed sown. Thoughts, words, and acts are seeds sown, and, by the inviolable law of things, they produce after their kind. The man who thinks hateful thoughts brings hatred upon himself. The man who thinks loving thoughts is loved. The man whose thoughts words, and acts are sincere is surrounded by sincere friends. The insincere man is surrounded by insincere friends. The man who sows wrong thoughts and deeds and prays to God, prays that God will bless him, is in the position of the farmer who, having sown tares, asks God to bring forth for him a harvest of wheat. He who would be blessed, let him scatter blessings. He who would be happy, let him consider the happiness of others. Then there is another side to this seed sowing. The farmer must scatter all his seed upon the land and then leave it to the elements. Were he to covetously hoard his seed, he would lose both it and his produce, for his seed would perish. 
it perishes when he sows it, but in perishing, it brings forth a great abundance. So in life, we get by giving. We grow rich by scattering. The man who says he is in possession of knowledge which he cannot give out because the world is incapable of receiving it either does not possess such knowledge or, if he does, will soon be deprived of it if he is not already so deprived. To hoard is to lose. To exclusively retain is to be dispossessed. Even the man who would increase his material wealth must be willing to part with, invest, what little capital he has, and then wait for the increase. So long as he retains his hold on his precious money, he will not only remain poor, but will be growing poorer every day. He will, after all, lose the thing he loves, and will lose it without increase. But if he wisely lets it go, if, like the farmer, he scatters his seeds of gold, then he can faithfully wait for, and reasonably expect, the increase. Men are asking God to give them peace and purity and righteousness and blessedness, but are not obtaining these things. And why not? Because they are not practicing them, not sowing them. I once heard a preacher pray very earnestly for forgiveness. And shortly afterwards, in the course of his sermon, he called upon his congregation to show no mercy to the enemies of the church. Such self-delusion is pitiful, and men have yet to learn that the way to obtain peace and blessedness is to scatter peaceful and blessed thoughts words, and deeds. Men believe they can sow the seeds of strife, impurity, and unbrotherliness, and then gather in a rich harvest of peace, purity, and concord by merely asking for it. What more pathetic sight than to see an irritable and quarrelsome man praying for peace. Men reap that which they sow, and any man can reap all blessedness now and at once, if he will put aside selfishness and broadcast the seeds of kindness, gentleness, and love. If a man is troubled, perplexed, sorrowful, or unhappy, let him ask, What mental seeds have I been sowing? What seeds am I sowing? What have I done for others? What is my attitude towards others? What seeds of trouble and sorrow and unhappiness have I sown that I should thus reap these bitter weeds? Let him seek within and find, and having found, 
let him abandon all the seeds of self. And so, henceforth, only the seeds of truth. Let him learn of the farmer the simple truths of wisdom. Okay, that's it for that passage. Let's take a quick break. Thank you to you two and Bono for the uh, trying to throw your arms around the world little musical interlude there. You're listening to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran. We do this show every weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, and our website is themysticshow.net. Themysticshow.net. You can go there, you can find our phone number, and here I'm turning on, back, turning back on the ringer. And you can also call us on Skype for free from anywhere in the world. So, um, And we'd like your feedback about the show as well. If you want to leave a comment on one of the posts, on one of the episodes, go ahead on the website, you can do that. Or you can send me a note directly on the website. If you have any comments or if you, ha- if you know anyone who might make a good guest, someone I could interview on the show, go ahead and make the suggestion. All right, so we just read this uh, section on sowing and reaping. Right? I I'd, I'd said before I read it that it's a common analogy or a common spiritual concept of the sowing and reaping. You can only reap what you sow, you know? It's like, you know, what what I used to hear. You made your bed, now you have to lie in it. So, that's, I mean, it's so evident. I want to say self-evident, but it's just common sense and evident that that's how nature works. And it's unbelievable sometimes how we delude ourselves. We think, we, we think we're above that natural law. Like, that natural law doesn't apply to us as humans. For some reason, like he says, we think that we can, you know, uh, where did he say it? Men believe that they can sow the seeds of strife, impurity, and unbrotherliness, and then gather in a rich harvest of peace, purity, and concord by merely asking for it. Right? We think most of us, most human beings think that we can live life we can be messy with our thoughts. We can, we can uh, be negative with our thoughts or evil with our thoughts. And then all we have to do is get on our knees and pray for something good. And then God is supposed to just bless us with something good. And it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> and if you haven't realized that in your own life, you will. Because I know for me... I lived life for many years trying to, you know, get around that natural law. I thought I could do whatever I wanted and that the world owed me, you know, a living. And I could be whoever I wanted to be and I, you know, I didn't have to be nice to people. I just, you know, whatever. And and yet I should still have everything, friends and a job and everything. And it... And, and money, and it just doesn't happen that way. I mean, who you are 
just sort of shines through everything. And that's, that's the person that's sowing the seeds. And so you're going to reap the results. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. I don't know. I don't think we have to talk about this one for too long. Unless you have a comment, you can give me a call. I have to figure out how I can receive like text messages or tweets. I think I can receive tweets. Like if you tweet at me, right? I actually have Twitter up on the screen here and I just I just tweeted that we're live. So if you were to find me on Twitter, find the show, The Mystic Show, at The Mystic Show, you could actually tweet at me and I'll and I could maybe see it while we're on on live. So some people call that a tweet chat. Although although I don't know if I'll be able to write, you know, type back to you while I'm hosting the show, but uh see, here's a new tweet. Up, oh, it's not one of our listeners. <laughs> Somebody promoting something. All right. So that's sowing and reaping and so I want to get into this conversation I had with a friend last night and I and I I basically I guess the title for this segment would be something to the effect of uh signs from the universe or I don't know I don't know what to call this segment yet but let, let's get into it so uh me and my friend were last night we're just chatting about spirituality and of course you know what topic always comes up on this show is this idea that um, we can talk about spirituality, you can read about spirituality, but until we actually do something, we're not going to really know about spirituality. And doing something could mean meditating, or it could just be you know monitoring your thoughts maybe writing a diary. But in general, we have to become a little more in tune with our subtle beings, right? Our, our mind, our feelings. And really what blocks that sensitivity to our thoughts and our feelings is the fact that our mind is running at a thousand miles an hour. And we can't stop it. That's the whole problem. So that's where meditation comes into the picture. We have to meditate to sort of regulate our mind. So then we can start to notice other things. You know, people always ask, well, how do you, you know, people always say, you know, do what's in your heart or follow your heart or, you know, listen to your heart. That's where all the answers are, right? And I agree with that. But people ask me, well, how can I do that? How can I listen to my heart? I, I try to listen. I don't hear anything. <laughs> and you know why? Because your mind is still running at 1,000 miles an hour. It's like if someone was in a room with you and you're playing rock music really, really loud and the person's trying to talk to you and you're saying, what? I can't hear you. What? And, and, and the person says, well, can you turn the music down? And you just, you don't turn the music down, but then you're still going to complain that you can't hear them. So we have to turn the, the volume down, if you will. Volume in a sense of loudness, but also volume in a sense of, uh, mass or amount we have a lot of thoughts and and it's funny when if you've never meditated before when you first the first probably well the first many times you meditate you probably get bombarded with thoughts not all the time not every moment and not every meditation but at times thoughts will come and uh well anyway that's with the medit- with the uh sahaj marg practice we do we learn how to handle that because that, that's what stops everybody in their tracks for meditation. They think, oh, I can't meditate. So we want to listen to our heart, but 
you know, this the mind is so loud and obnoxious, we can't hear the heart. So most people remain on the intellectual level. We want to talk about spirituality. We want to read books. We want to argue about the philosophy of God. What is God? What is my inner self? We're going to throw around words. We're going to, you know, argue a certain opinion. And it's all good. I I like it, actually, because, again, that's the conversation that needs to happen. We shouldn't be talking about, well... So many other subjects we talk about are unnecessary. I was going to bring up a bad example because I think there was actually in one of the malls around here, I think there was some somebody shooting a gun or something and very close to here, which is kind of weird. That whole thing is weird. I don't know. The whole world is weird these days. You just you kind of have to ignore it if you want to keep any shred of sanity. But. The spiritual conversation is always a good conversation. It's always good to talk about it and to exchange point of views. And I mean, to to a certain point, but it has to be balanced by a personal practice. And the personal practice, if you think about it, it's just a big experiment with yourself. You're experimenting with yourself. That's like, that's the nature of the spiritual journey. You're going to read some things and think about it. You're going to do some things and you're going to feel something. And over time, you'll feel different things. You'll think different things. You'll talk about different things. And the path becomes more clear. And you learn. Right? Just it, it's, it's one big learning this whole life. That's my opinion, right? (laughs) What's your opinion? (laughs) So give us a call. The number and the Skype handle are on the website, themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net. So, yeah, so it's hard. If if we're just going to intellectualize spirituality, then, I don't know, that's not very wise. Because the mind can only think think up to a certain level. At the level of spirit or soul or God and whatever, the mind doesn't reach up that far. It just doesn't. That The spiritual realms are so fine and, and subtle, the mind doesn't even get there. It, it can't reach there. It's just the mind only goes so far. <laughs> so we can't intellectualize everything. You can't know everything. You're not going to get the answer for everything, for every question. There's going to be many questions in your life. You're not going to have an intellectual answer ever. You're never going to get the answer intellectually. But if you meditate and if you go to the heart level, to the feeling level, and I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking feeling, which is way more subtle than emotion. Um, And you meditate, you will know the answer to something on the level of the heart, not the level of the head. So, So one of the ways people can intellectualize spirituality is to sort of get into this habit mental habit or mental game of thinking that the universe is giving them signs that, that I let's, for instance, let's say I have a question in my mind and someone out there, some being or some God or something outside of me can read my mind and knows that I have that question and then uses the material world to give me the answer. And a lot of times that comes in the form of reading, reading a book, reading a passage from a book. I mean, how many times have you read a passage from a book and you feel like you got the answer to something, a question that was on your mind, and now you feel you got the answer? 
It's very common. It's very common, and it's learning, and it's good. But when it comes to this idea of that there's someone out there who knows what I'm thinking, there's someone out there who who knows what my question is, and they're they're specifically giving me an answer to my question. I I don't I don't think that's the way it works. And quite simply, the reason is is because there's not someone out there monitoring your thoughts and giving you answers. <laughs> there's not. So then this comes to the conception of God, which we talked about actually on one of the first mystic shows. But people talk about God as if God's a person. You know, and we pray to God, oh God, let me get a good job. Oh God, let me not be in the mall when some guy comes in with a gun and starts shooting. Oh God, let my kids grow up and earn enough money to be happy. Right? And we expect God to be sitting up there Right? An old guy with a beard sitting on a cloud and saying, oh, okay, yeah, you want your kids to grow up, make enough money so they can be happy? Okay, I'll grant you that wish. <laughs> I mean, that's rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. <laughs> the problem is most everyone in the world does that. Most everyone in the world thinks that way. That there's some God somewhere who's watching and is judging us and we have to try to be good so this God can give us the answers and give us what we want. I mean, that's just a ridiculous view of the universe, in my opinion. So, so really, you know, in my opinion, it's it's everything is in you. And this is where, remember we talked... I mentioned that religion seeks God outside of yourself. In spirituality, you seek inside yourself. So, it you know, the whole idea of, you know, getting signs from the universe or getting answers, it, I think it's sort of like a big superstition. And some cultures are more superstitious than others. And the thing about most superstitions is that Probably thousands of years ago, they had a, uh, a what's the word? They had a legitimate cause to become a superstition. Meaning, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, like, uh, oh, I don't want to pick on the church, but okay. When in a Christian church, when you receive the the Holy Eucharist, the body of Christ, and you eat it, that's you know most people just we used to call it eating the cookie, because you just go up, you get it, you eat it, and you sit back down. Most people don't understand what they're doing, so it becomes a superstition that it's something you have to do, but you don't know why. But yet you have to do it because if you didn't do it then there might be a big problem. There would be a big problem. God would look down on you and say, nope, you're not doing it. You're going to get punished. So that's a superstition. When we do things out of fear and we really don't know why we're doing them, that's called superstition. (laughs) So a lot of this, you know, seeking answers outside of yourself or seeking signs or I mean, even reading the astrology horoscopes is a superstition. Because as a human being, you're way stronger and way more powerful than a horoscope or a planet. I mean, really. We talked about it yesterday being, you know, when we're talking about goals, that your goal, you shouldn't be worthy of your goal. Your goal should be worthy of you. Anyway, so we undervalue ourselves, and uh, and then we think we're these little beings who need to appease some god somewhere, and and you know 
struggle to re- to receive scraps off of his table kind of a thing. It's it's just a big superstition. So religion looks outside, spirituality looks inside. And as far as getting signs and answers from the universe, I think it's just learning. I mean, let's say you have a question in your mind and you read a page of a book and you think you get the answer. And you think, oh my God, the universe knew what my question was and just gave me the answer. Right? Okay, that's one way to look at it. The But another person could read that same page of the book. They could have a different question and maybe they get their answer. And there's probably 500 other people that are going to read the same page of the same book and get no answer. So it's not the book. The book is not the answer. It's the person looking at the book, reading the book. Because we give meaning to things. Things don't give meaning to us. You, when you go through your life every day, you give meaning to certain things and you give no meaning to a lot of other things. Some people think it's really important to go to the gym every day and work out. Well, they give meaning to that. Other people don't care, so they give no meaning to that. Some people will read this James Allen book that we're reading, Above Life's Turmoil, and they'll give so much meaning to it, this one book will change their whole life, right? Another person holds the same book, reads it, it means nothing. So it's not Above Life's Turmoil, it's not the book where the meaning is and where the answer is. The answer is inside you. Because all the answers are inside you. You're connected to something bigger where, where all the answers are. Sort of like an inherent intuition. So when you ask a question and you get an answer, you're, you're getting the answer from inside yourself. That's why you only get the answers that you're ready for. You you only get the answers for the next question, next few questions. You don't get the answer for what's the meaning of life. You know, on the first day you start meditating, you're not going to get the answer to what's the meaning of life and what the highest the highest spiritual condition that a human can achieve. You're not going to get that on the first day because you have to go through the process, right, of learning. Like a child, I mean, a little baby. You're not going to have a baby, and on the, the when you bring the baby home from the hospital, sit it at the kitchen table and try to stick a fork and knife in his hands and tell him to cut his food and eat. You don't do that. It's not ready for that. So when we're living life, we're learning. We're, we're learning, and we're each learning at our own level, at our own pace. And it may seem at times that the universe, oh my God, just put something there in front of you. And okay, maybe the book showed up in your hand and maybe you got an answer. That's fine. But the problem comes, and and this is how we get sidetracked. The problem comes when you start looking for these signs outside yourself. You start trying to mentally connect things. You know, ooh, I I saw a blue jay this morning, and then I went to work, and some guy had a book with a blue jay on the cover. Ooh, it must must be something special with blue jays today. And then I went home and I read the paper, and the and the the baseball team, the Toronto Blue Jays, were on TV. Wow, what a coincidence! Wow, this is you know, and, and then uh, and then maybe you were thinking about painting, making a painting of a bird, and you didn't know what bird to paint. And all of a sudden you saw three blue jays and you think, ooh, the universe wants me to paint a blue jay. Now look, if that happens, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that happening. You're seeing three blue birds, blue jays, and you paint a blue jay. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when we associate all this meaning to this. Ooh, the universe is a sign from the universe. It's interesting. I agree. It's beautiful. I agree. But 
especially when we're looking for answers to spiritual questions, we can't look outside of ourselves. We may get some answers that seem like they're from outside of ourselves. But if here's the problem. If we start to rely on getting answers from outside of ourselves, we're doomed. Because ipso facto, if you're looking outside of yourself, you're doing so with the intellect. And the intellect is not the instrument of spiritual realization. The heart is. So it's a big danger to be, become sidetracked with all this superstitious stuff, with all this, you know, getting signs from the universe, all this uh, getting answers to spiritual questions from outside of ourselves, trying to correlate things that happen. Ooh, every time I, every time I wake up and, and, uh, and eat a bagel, I have a good day at work. It just, it's funny. It just happens that way. I mean, Really? You're going to spend your mental power trying to correlate bagels with having a good day at work? I mean, come on. That's like kindergarten. That's the, yeah, so, so you understand what I'm saying. That we, it, It's very easy to get sidetracked from true spirituality. And true spirituality, as I just um, wrote down on my notes for the show, true spirituality is traveling the road to nothingness, moving towards simplicity, getting rid of all these complexities and interesting happenings, coincidences, answers, whatever. It's all has, it all has to go away eventually. We can't become more complex and complicated and also become more spiritual. You know? You're not going to get 5,000 more answers to spiritual questions and, and complicate everything so much, and then you'll be a spiritual person. It's actually the opposite of that. And I think that's a whole other conversation, too, so I don't want to go too long on one thing, but you see my point that it's a danger to become sidetracked with all this, this superstitious uh, and intellectual thinking. Spirituality being much deeper um, than all that, really. So let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Yes, thank you to Douglas Irvine. This is from his Ambient Egypt CD, which is very cool. Douglas Irvine, Ambient Egypt. Thanks for that little interlude. You're listening to The Mystic Show. My name is Chris Curran. Going off on uh, (laughs) spiritual tirades on internet radio. (laughs) Really, none of you, (laughs) no one listening had an opinion about that. I don't know. I guess that's, um, in a way, that's a touchy subject because, because it's not easy. It's really not easy to shake off our conditioning. And that's actually the next topic I want to get into. Um, but before I do that, just to remind you, our website is themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net. And our phone number is there and our Skype handle. You can call us on Skype. Or call us on the phone, ask a question, make a comment. And uh, and also on the website, all of our past shows are archived. So you can check out all the past shows. You can search by 
category tags. You can also search by the the title of the post. I, I in in the title of every post, I list what the topics were, the main topics that we talked about in the show. So, so you can find episodes that you really want to listen to. And uh, and also, I don't know. Do you receive the um, the daily pause email? Well, if you haven't uh, signed up for that, you can go to pauseyourlife.org, pauseyourlife.org, and right on the right side, sign up for the daily pause email, and you'll get a really inspirational quote in your email box every morning. It's a good time to pause and reflect on something deeper. So pauseyourlife.org, you can sign up for that. And uh, so what I wanted to... uh, get into now is something called ready oh, I need a drum roll I don't have a drum roll anyway uh something called the terror barrier ooh the terror barrier and this is interesting because you know we were just talking on the last segment about being a little superstitious or uh you know being a little materialistic or intellectual, spiritually. And and we're all in the process of becoming more spiritual, becoming more divinized, right? And on this path of divinization, we have to make changes. We have to let go of our conditioning, our paradigms, our habits, right? A lot of our habits we have to change. A lot of our thinking we have to change, and we know that. And we're, we're in the process, and everything's okay. Everything's good. Uh, but changing is not easy. And one of the reasons changing is not easy um, is because once, once a habit has become really fixed in our subconscious mind, it, it, it's, it's almost like, uh, what would you call it? It's almost like a fixed pattern. And it's it's like buried in there deep. Like think about this. Things things that you do every day repeatedly. Like let's say someone who smokes. If someone smokes cigarettes every day and they like it and they keep smoking, smoking, smoking and you know, over the days, the months, the years. I mean, if someone smokes for 30 years, that has become such a habit, they don't even think about it anymore. I mean, literally, when they grab the pack of cigarettes and they take out the cigarette and they light it, they're really not even thinking about it. They're just, it's just so much of a habit. That's what they do. Um, so the, the habit sort of gets ingrained on a deep level. And if you try to change that habit, it's uncomfortable. Because to change the habit, we really have to um, create a new habit. Like you have to replace. Well, the easiest way to to fix a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. It, it's actually much more difficult to just remove a bad habit and and not replace it with something. So. So the terror barrier, okay, is this is this uh, kind of fear that can come over you when you try to do something new. And I'll give you an example from from business. Well, and it could be, you know, personal too, but uh, let's say that you've, uh, you've never made any cold calls. And if you know what cold calls are, they're just when you, when you just pick, a company out of the yellow pages or you find a company online and you don't know them and you just call them up and you try to talk to them and they don't know who you are and you know within the first few seconds you have to be nice and and hopefully they won't hang up on you and hopefully they might want to talk to you but normally not i'd say 95% of all cold calls they'd probably just hang up on you or they just say no i'm not interested thanks bye so cold calling is actually difficult. 
And it's pretty annoying too, right? For everybody. For the people receiving it. I know I get cold calls here. So, but cold call, if you're doing the calling, that can be really intimidating and nerve wracking because you're calling someone who doesn't know you. And I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's not easy. It's, I mean, you can learn it, you can get better at it, but no one likes it. Uh, Well, very few people like it, I'm sure. So, if you never made any cold calls and uh, and I asked you to, okay, we're going to, uh, I'm going to give you a list of people you're going to have to cold call. As soon as you pick up the phone, your heart is going to start racing. Like if I told you, you're going to have to sell them something. Our product is, uh, our you know, whatever. Our product is uh, microphones. So I want you to call these 10 people and sell them a microphone. And I give you the list and the phone, and, and you're, you, you've never done it before. You don't want to do it. You're afraid of it. And guess what? You pick up the phone for the first one, and what's your heart going to do? Your heart's going to start beating like crazy, and you're going to be start sweating. And Why? Because it's something new. You're, you're moving out of your comfort zone. And when you move out of your comfort zone, you you run straight into the terror barrier. You come up against this barrier and you have two choices. One, you can wimp out and go back to your comfort zone. Or number two is you have to break through the terror barrier and actually do what, do the new action. And Inevitably, what happens is if you do the new action enough, then it becomes a habit and then you can do it. Then you're not afraid of it. And the terror barrier just kind of like dissolves. But it's very common when we try to do new things or try to change our habits um, to run into this terror barrier. And a lot of time, most times, it's not like the example I gave when you pick up the phone, your heart's going to start beating real fast. I mean, a lot of times, it's not that uh, obvious that you're hitting the terror barrier. Maybe you want to start meditating more. Maybe you want to start a, a meditation practice. And, but maybe waking up every morning and maybe going to a group meditation every week Maybe you're not so comfortable with that. I mean, it's not so much that you're afraid. I mean, your heart doesn't start beating like crazy, but you're still, it's uncomfortable. It's new and you don't know what to expect. And it might be easy just to say, "Ah, I'll start next month or I'll start next summer when it's nicer out or, you know, you make some excuse. Well, the reason you make an excuse is because you're coming up against the terror barrier. And so here's the beauty of it all. Ready? I mean, I got to bring the beauty, right? Here's the beauty of it all, that when you understand the terror barrier, when you understand that all it is is when you have an old habit that's very comfortable and you're trying to create a new habit which is a little uncomfortable at first, you're moving from the old habit to the new habit and you're feeling a little discomfort. Now, most people never know why they feel the discomfort. In fact, most, they don't even acknowledge the discomfort. They just ignore it and then, and then say, no, I don't want to start meditation. And they don't even know why. But here's the, the thing. You can have a deeper self-awareness. You can, un- you can now understand why when you go from an old habit to a new habit, you know why you're feeling discomfort because you're coming up against the old conditioning. And it's going to take some time to develop new conditioning, new habits. And once you understand that, you can handle it. So once you, when you wake up for meditation or when you're about to go to the group meditation and you feel like, oh, I don't want to go or whatever... Now you know that it's just the terror barrier and now you know that if you just push through it a few times, 
you'll be fine. And this is very empowering. This is like some pretty heavy duty self-awareness. And and the other part of the terror barrier is this um the conscious and the subconscious mind because the habits are in our subconscious mind. The conditioning and our habits are in the subconscious. But maybe you're maybe the new thought that oh I want to start meditation is in the conscious mind. So your conscious mind may say, "Oh, I want to start meditation." Your subconscious mind might be saying, you don't even know it because it's subconscious. Your subconscious mind might be saying, "Heck no, I'm not getting up early. I'm not going to group meditation." So that's the reason why a lot of people talk a lot about doing things. Oh, I want to I want to lose weight. I want to meditate. I want to go on vacation. But they never do it because they're not, first of all, they're not even aware of the conditioning on the subtler levels of their subconscious mind. And even if they are slightly aware of that, they're, they're, they don't understand that they're in the process of changing it and that's why they feel uncomfortable. So it's just a whole nother level of self-awareness, um, almost like stepping outside of yourself and um, observing yourself. Observing your mind and your feelings. And again, it comes back, th- then comes the question, well, who is observing? Well, that's a spiritual question because it's your consciousness or whatever that is, right? So the terror barrier, uh, this was kind of like a little quick overview, but basically when you change habits or conditioning, you, you're going to feel a little uncomfortable, but it's very natural because you're the old conditioning is a little strong and the new habit is uh uncomfortable but you just but you have to know that once you push through it it'll be fine because then you'll have a new habit you'll have a new comfort zone then actually and then you'll be comfortable and then someone like me is going to tell you <laughs> that hey now you're too comfortable move to, move to the next level So that's what happens. We keep moving to the next level. And that's why pretty much life is full of discomfort. Because we're always learning. We're always moving to the next level. And that discomfort or confusion is actually really good. If you can accept it in the right way. And when you know what the terror barrier is and you know you're hitting it, you can actually consciously accept it in the right way and say, okay, this is a little uncomfortable, but hey, this is learning. This is my spiritual path. And when you have that attitude, you're, I mean, you're really on the right track because you're a willing student, you're being aware, self-aware, and you're going to learn. And that's really good. Only, only really good things can come for that, come from that. So, well, the time just goes by. I thank you for listening. Hopefully you can be a little self-aware today. Maybe if you try a new little habit, maybe you can feel the terror barrier. Maybe you can kind of determine if you're at all superstitious about your spirituality. If you're letting your intellect try to peep its way into spirituality, don't let it. And uh, yeah, so as you move through your day, maintain the good vibration, maybe smile at people, maybe take a picture of yourself smiling and send it to me, or, you know, I'm on Facebook. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. And as always, keep shining. Keep shining.